Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends, to the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and I was joined by Dr. Meg Meeker for this week's episode. Meg has spent almost 30 years writing, teaching, speaking, and working as a practicing pediatrician. Her life's work has been about equipping parents and children with the tools necessary for health and happiness. She's the host of the Parenting Great Kids podcast, and her parenting advice has been featured by many ministries, including Family Life, Focus on the Family, and Dave Ramsey, who refers to her as America's mother. Meg's most recent book is entitled Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture. Now, in this week's episode, Meg and I discuss the challenges of parenting in a hypersexual culture. Meg talks about the pressure social media places on our children and offers practical ways we can help reduce the negative effects of social media. Meg also shares advice on talking to teens about sex, whether they are our own children or we're ministering to them at church. And now I invite you to join me in my conversation with Dr. Meg Meeker. Meg, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. So happy you could join us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Um, Now, Meg, you have recently um, written a new book called Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture. And in that book, uh, you share that we are facing an epidemic of depression in young people. And, And you say that much of that is directly the result of premature sexual activity. Can you unpack that a little bit and tell us what what leads you to believe this? So, you know, I've been practicing a little over 30 years now, and I've been taking care of a lot of teenagers. And what I've noticed really in the past five to 10 years is an increase in the number of kids I'm seeing with depression, anxiety, even young kids. But when I look at teenagers who are sexually active, I've noticed that more of them have self-esteem issues, are more anxious, and um, struggle with more depression. So I started researching this, and sure enough, I found in the literature that um, sexual activity in the teen years is tied with depression. So one of the things that I work hard with kids to do is teach them to how to have healthy relationships um, that don't involve sexual activity. And what I have found is that kids are really pretty receptive to this. Their parents probably are less receptive than the kids, um, you know, because parents are just convinced this is what kids are going to do. There's nothing I can do. Well, there's a lot parents can do. And so once I tell them that sort of emotionally, psychologically, um, sexual activity is not good for their kids, they really they start to come around. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, when you say that um, depression and sexual activity are linked, is it that depression can lead to sexual activity? Sexual activity leads to depression? Does it go both directions? What What does the research show? It does. It goes both directions. But what the research shows is that Girls and boys, but um, girls in particular, you know, we're living in a hypersexualized culture. Everybody knows that. Um, anybody who wants to sell anything use, laces it with sexual innu- innuendo, um, sexual things, and they know that's going to sell their stuff. The the targeted market for a lot of this is teenagers and kids. Um, but what we found is so that th- this leads kids to believe that if they want to be popular, they need to be sexually active. But what happens when they're sexually active is a few things. 
girls go to sexual activity and when they're done with it, they feel a loss. They feel a loss of uh, trust in that person because usually relationships don't last. They lose their virginity. They lose a sense that they really wanted love and they wanted intimacy, but it didn't really happen. Um, and so they go back and do it again. And, and depression is really about accumulated losses that get stuck in the heart and that aren't grieved, that sort of well up inside of somebody. And when we think about it, there are a lot of losses that girls can feel on many different levels from being sexually active, and those can lead to depression. It's interesting, when I talk to teen boys about it, they get it. I mean, they really get it. They say, ah, boy, you know, this makes a lot of sense. I've had X number of partners, and I just feel crummy. You know, what's wrong with me? Well, this exact same is true with girls, but even more so, because they're looking for intimacy and connection, and it really doesn't happen during sex. That, that's, that's interesting. What what would you um, recommend parents, as they're talking with their, their children, you know, to before they are sexually active, you know, what are some things that parents can do before they're sexually active to help encourage them from, you know, kind of compromising themselves? Yeah. Well, here's what I do. Um, and I recommend parents do it. First of all, when you have the initial talk about sex with your kids when they're very young, you say to them, you know, you're going to lot of hear a lot of stuff at school about things, you know, moms and dads and kissing that kind of stuff. But whenever you have questions, please come to me because the answers you're going to get from your classmates in fourth, fifth, sixth grade aren't necessarily true. But I want you to always come to me. So first thing is you establish yourself as the go-to person when it comes to talking about sex. Now, a lot of parents are very uncomfortable with that, but that's okay. You got to get <laughs> over it because kids are being talked to about sex and you got to jump in the arena. Now, as kids get older, this is what I tell kids, you know, sex is amazing. It's wonderful. It's fabulous because we don't want to project a negative sense about sex. And I think kids think that many times Christian parents are going to come and say, you know, it's bad. Don't do it. You'll become a bad kid. You don't want to lose. You know, so we're very negative. We have to be very positive about it. Mm. So what I tell kids is this, you know, if you're 15 years old and you live till you're 75, your body is made potentially for 60 years of sexual activity. So, and kids love that. <laughs> so if you really want the last 50 years of it to be fabulous, you really need to pay attention to what you do the next 10 years. And my job as your mom or dad is to help you through those so that ultimately you get your 50 years of great sexual activity. So you put it in context for kids. And then I say, here's what I know. I said, there's a lot up there pressuring you to be sexually active and it's not healthy for you. And you know it, you know, um, and so what I want to do is I'm going to link arms with you as your ally and we're going to figure this thing out because the only reason, the only reason you're seeing sex in movies and your friends talking about it and so forth is um, advertisers want you to buy something and kids your age want to pressure you into doing something because they kind of feel bad about it. So how can, so you talk about the positive emotional 
effects of healthy sexual activity later in life. And you talk about, but if you start early, you know, before marriage or your teen years, whatever a parent wants to say, if you start early, you know, those emotions are going to turn negative really fast. And you kind of walk them through, you know, you get very intimate with somebody, you break up, you have another boyfriend, you break up. And that can lead you to really hurt. So, you know, my job as your mom or dad is to help you postpone sexual activity until marriage. And I know you can do it. And then it's also very important for parents to help their daughters find one or two girlfriends that are willing to do the same thing. And they have a buddy system because things work so much better when daughters know, oh, you know, Sally and Annie are doing the same thing. So I'm not that crazy. But I have found kids really listen to that. Um, They just need a reason not to be sexually active other than no, don't do that. That's bad. We need to tell them it's, it's really wonderful. And that's why we need to help them postpone it and wait for the good stuff. That's good. Yeah. And I think that's an important attitude to take. Um, Cause like you say, oftentimes, you know, parents sometimes they're fearful, right? And so they, they, they oftentimes, I, I don't know why we do this as parents sometimes, but we, we um, kind of default to something negative and something almost overbearing or, or scary or whatever, because uh, we're fearful that, that our children are going to make poor decisions. And we know that, like you said, we know the emotional impact it can have on them. And, and we want the best for our children. So we default to kind of that negativity. Um, but really, we want to celebrate um, the positivity of, of sex. You know, I mean, it's something God created for us to enjoy as husband and wife. And, and I, right. I love that perspective. That, that's so good. One of the things uh, we, you, you mentioned a lot about pressure, and we obviously see this in the media and, you know, as you mentioned, advertising, so many different ways, peer pressure as well. Um, but in your book, you you give several examples of how social media creates this added pressure um, on girls, especially to act in compromising ways. Can you can you share with us um, some of some of those examples? Oh, sure. You know, I, well, of course, I wrote the book because I completely believe because I've seen it over and over and over that great parents, a good parent, one or both, hopefully can really help their daughters navigate a culture that, that that's really coming at them pretty hard, social media, you know, television and, and all this kind of stuff. But parents are really the ones that matter. I talk to parents about the fact that we need to teach our kids. We need to live with our kids on a deeper level. For instance, we as Christian parents and non-Christian parents are all about getting our kids to do stuff well so they'll feel good about themselves and then we'll feel good about the parenting we're doing. That's why we sign them up for gymnastics when they're three and soccer when they're five, not just to do fun things, but really to uh, kind of um, do really well so that they feel better amongst themselves with their peers. The problem with this is kids don't end up knowing really why they're alive. They don't know where their value comes from as parents. So we need to teach them that as their parents, we know they have incredible value and that whether they perform or whether they don't, it doesn't matter to us. Now, why is this important? Because girls, when they hit the teen years in junior high, are very self-conscious and their self-esteem goes down. So they turn to the place where they feel they're going to get 
a boost in their self-esteem, particularly if they haven't gotten it home or particularly if they feel that all they are is sort of a performer for their parents. A lot of kids feel that way. You'd be amazed. They feel that way. Well, if I don't continue, my parents won't love me kind of thing. So they turn to social media to get affirmation from their friends. But of course, it's not real and true affirmations. So they stay there and they stay there and they stay there trying to fill a need that's really not getting filled. But they don't have to be there long before they either get have somebody say something negative to them or they come to believe that everybody's life is better than theirs. And so social media really has an addictive quality because girls are going there to feel better about themselves, but it end up, ends up making them feel worse about themselves. So we now know with studies that the more time they spend on social media, the more likely they are to be depressed. So, you know, it's not all kids, girls who are on social media. I don't want to mislead you, but girl, the more time they spend there, the more likely they are to be depressed because they're looking for affirmation. It doesn't really satisfy. So they keep going back and it ultimately ends up making them feel kind of empty. Wow, that's that's. That's very interesting. And, and one of the things that we know is like social media is here. It's, you know, it's a part of our yeah. lives, right? So can you talk to us, Meg, a little bit about um, like what, what advice do you have for parents who really are eager to help their children learn how to use social media in a healthy way while also, you know, protecting them from, you know, dangerous content or, or these pressures that um, they might be exposed to? Sure, because you're absolutely right. You know, iPhones are here to stay until um, Apple or Samsung comes out with a, you know, a more sophisticated version. So we need to teach our kids to live with screens. But here's the problem. Um, They can't self-regulate. You know, even a 17-year-old girl who's going on social media um, can't cut from it in a moment like her parents can, you know, parents say, well, I trust my daughter. It's not a matter of trust. You know, girls have a hard time cutting. So away from the social media. So parents need to set up some rules about screens in their home. And many parents are afraid to do this because the backlash is kids are going to get nasty and spit and scream. And I say, oh, well, (laughs) but to have, you know, say, okay, what's a, you know, ideally mom and dad would sit down and say, what's a reasonable amount of time for our daughter to be on social media? And that's according to her age. So you say, okay, how about 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the afternoon, 15, 30 minutes in the evening, and that's it. Because we've got kids who are on social media hours per day. Um, the average child, kid spends about 40, 45 minutes with their parents a day, but about eight or 10 hours on a screen. So we need to help regulate it for them and teach them what it's like to to control this stuff. Because if we don't teach them, they'll never learn how to do it. So wherever daughters are now with their social media, I just encourage parents to just slowly start dialing it down. If your daughter's on it four hours a day, go to three and a half hours. And then you go to three hours. And then you come up with sort of a, a, a fairly loose schedule. I also encourage parents to have some screen-free time. That's that's the set in stone. For instance, meal time, no phones, no no phones from mom, dad, kids, nothing. Uh, when you're driving in the car, no phones. We're going to talk to each other. Um, so there are times that you are together with your child where they're not on a screen. But that goes both ways. That means parents can't be 
texting and reading their texts and looking at their emails either. So, you know, really there are, way, there are healthy ways to take control of it, um, but we just have to be bold enough to do it. And finally, I would put some devices on your kids' phones that say any anytime somebody's on the internet in our home, um, you know, we have a device where you can see where everybody is, what they're doing and so forth. And then also, and then finally to tell uh, kids, look, everything you write to your friends on social media, um, I get to see because there's no privacy. There's no secrets here. A lot of parents feel like, well, you know, my daughter's 16. She needs her privacy. No, she doesn't. (laughs) You know, that's where kids get into trouble. You don't have secrets in marriage. You don't have secrets in any healthy relationship. And that pertains to kids and their parents. That's good. I, I, and I love that final fact that, the you know, bring it home to in a healthy relationship, there aren't secrets. And, and therefore, right. we can talk about this and we can open up. And because I think that's one of the things, as you mentioned, parents, um, and it's because it's they care about their children, but they don't want to feel like they're overbearing because they're afraid that will push them even further. Like, yeah. okay, now they're going to go sneak around some other way. Um, yeah. How do you suggest parents talk to their kids specifically about um, not just screen time, but specifically about how social media can kind of distort reality and, and impact them? Oh, it's a, it's a great question. I find the most effective way to get through to kids is not to tell them things in lecture, but to ask questions. For instance, um, you know, Susie, when you're on social media, how do you feel? Do you feel good about yourself, bad about yourself? How do you feel about your friends? And then sit there and listen and say, you know, I noticed that some of my friends when they're in social media um, put their best foot forward. And sometimes they look like they're having a really great life. Um, Do your friends do that too? Uh, Do you think your friends are showing their true selves or do you think they might be sort of – making themselves look better, making themselves look happier. So you just ask questions, probing questions, and kids will figure it out pretty quickly. If you do that to even a 12, 13-year-old girl, they'll start to realize, oh, yeah, sometimes, mom, I just feel like I have the worst life ever because all my friends are having so much fun. And you say, well, are they really having that much fun or are they just trying to show that you they're having a lot of fun? Or are they really that pretty or do you think they might be doing something to make themselves look really pretty to make other people jealous kids will get that and so i think that if kids understand we're on their side we're we understand we get the lore um but we really want to know how they feel about it by asking they will come to the conclusions we want them to come to, but they'll stick because we didn't just sit there and lecture to them. And, and and that's where we default to. I do that as a mom. Now, listen to me. Didn't you know that this and this and this and this and this is going to harm you and you can't drive that fast? You you know, it, it, it's hard. It takes a lot of self-control, particularly when you're afraid. But if you can just keep your wits about you and ask questions, leading questions, you'll get there with your kids. That's good. That's good. Meg, you, you've given us some some helpful and practical tips when it comes to parenting and, and dealing with our own children. But I'm thinking of those who, who are listening in who are maybe youth ministers or children's pastors at, at local churches, sort of kind of a third, third party um, in the conversation. 
Uh, what can they do to help mitigate the negative effects of social media on, on the kids that are in their churches? Well, first of all, I want to say to every pastor and youth uh, ministry worker, thank you, thank you, thank you. We need you out there because kids, we know that what really helps kids move forward in a healthy way, psychologically, physically, spiritually, are adults in their lives who are really invested and interested. So what I encourage youth pastors to do is keep the bar high for your kids. You know, Expect them to do well unless somebody tells you otherwise, unless they show you otherwise, because kids are so uh, used to people in our culture going, uh, talking to them as though around the next corner, they're going to mess up. And the reason they have to be in youth group is because they're getting ready to mess up and somebody's trying to save them. Well, we, we're not that you know, you're working with kids who want to feel good about themselves, who want people to expect them to have strong character and to know and believe in them that they can postpone sexual activity, that they can stay away from drugs and alcohol, and that they're raising the bar. And they're saying, our job is to is to help you do that, not to work against you and say, you know, this is terrible stuff and everybody's afraid you're going to do it. So don't. But it's it's really to affirm their character. You know, so if you see somebody in your youth group who is very patient, who has a lot of integrity, who is who perseveres incredibly, who has a lot of courage, point that out and affirm it. Don't talk about the stuff they do. OK, don't talk about isn't that great? You won your soccer game. Well, that's nice. You can say that but spend more time affirming their character and keep the bar high. Let them know that you have high expectations for them regarding their lives and they should too. And your job is to help them get there. And finally, be authentic. You know, when I go in and I talk to teenagers about sexual activity, I am the most uncool person. I wear slacks from Talbot's, okay? <laughs> but I don't pretend I don't. And it, and if you walk in it and you talk to kids as though you're the adult and you love being there with them, they love that. So don't come down to their level. Stay up as an adult because that's that will pull kids up. If, and, and, and kids love that. They want somebody to look up to who believes in them, has respect for them, and who will help them get to the finishing line of a great place that's much better than what the finishing line our culture offers them, which is basically perform well, make a lot of money, go to college, and life will be good. We know that doesn't work. <laughs> Dr. Meeker, you have spent uh, many years um, really working with families and, and children and families and really encouraging parents. Um, are there any final thoughts um, as we're kind of closing down our conversation together? Uh, maybe something we haven't touched on or, or just something that you would like to leave with our listeners when it comes to being healthy parents and, and just kind of creating that that space in our lives with our kids. Yeah. Well, I believe that God wires every parent with exactly what they need to parent a child and to, and to help a child become great. Any parent can do that. The culture's scary, but you have the power, not the culture. Yeah, it's bad, but you have the power. Finally, I wrote a chapter called The Four Questions Every Child Needs Answered. Do that. 
where did I come from? You know, every kid, where did I come from? Am I a mistake? Where does my value come from? Um, am I important because of the stuff I do? Or am, am I important to you, mom and dad, just because I'm your daughter? Um, is there a moral plumb line finding where am I going? So those are the deep questions that if you work to answer for our kids when they're young, that will that will keep them strong to be able to withstand a lot of stuff coming at them. Any parent can answer them. God will help any parent answer those things. But I can't tell you how many 15-year-old girls I have out there who truly, they know what they're good at, but they don't know why they're alive. I can't tell you how many 10-year-old, 15-year-olds, 18-year-old girls come in my practice and they have anxiety or depression. They're really good at a lot of stuff, but deep down, they don't know why they're here on earth. And every Christian parent owes that to their kids. We need to teach them before we teach them, whether they're good at gymnastics or swimming or piano or ballet, whatever, why they're alive and that God has put them here for a great purpose. And that purpose is greater than school and good grades and what college they go to and what gymnastics class. Their greater purpose is they were made for God for his pleasure. Even an eight-year-old can understand that. So when we when we start to do that with our kids, that's where we make them very um, resilient and very strong. That's so good. Thank you so much, Meg. If if people want to um, connect with you, what's the best way that they can um, kind of connect with you? Thank you. I'll go to meekerparenting.com. Meeker, my last name, meekerparenting.com. Excellent. I know you have a podcast, a blog different books that you've written and published and uh, tons of resources there. So I just want to thank you, Meg, for being with us on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for making time to share with us. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, pastors everywhere, for doing the great job you're doing. Awesome. God bless you, Meg. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app. It's available for both Apple and Android. And so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.